John chapter 6, here we go. This has been four or five, six weeks we've been in this one chapter. And as, as we've seen, this is actually one giant discourse. This is one giant story about all things, ready? It's about bread. It's about bread. We started this journey with Jesus taking five loaves and two fishes and feeding about 20,000 people. He then proceeds to go to the synagogue, and the people are, are wanting to make him king. And he said, you've got this wrong. You're wanting me to be a physical king. You're wanting physical food. You're wanting the cool stuff that I can do for you. But I, I'm, not, I'm not here to give you physical bread primarily. I'm here to be bread. I am bread. In fact, I am the bread of life. And what we want to get down to today is what exactly does Jesus mean by this? And, and, and how is it relevant to us? You know, you, you may have come in here today visiting from out of town or um, homecoming weekend, parents weekend at FSU, um, and, and this whole stuff about Jesus and the bread of life, and that sounds just a little obscure and obtuse, and you're not sure how that's relevant for you. Just, just remember this. John does not want to leave us in neutral today. He wants, us, he wants to bring us face-to-face with the claims of Christ. Either this man is a, is a raving lunatic, he is, he, is, he is off his rocker drinking blood and eating flesh, and we need to walk away disgusted, we need to walk away offended. That needs to be one course of action, or we need to see the claim that this makes upon our lives and say, whoa, if in fact Jesus is the bread if Jesus is the blood, the very life blood, the very spiritual life, then that has implications for us. And that's what we want to dig down into today. I'm going to invite us to stand to read our passage. We're going to be focusing in on verses 52 through 59, but we're going to start it back in verse 48 to kind of give us a running start here. And remember, Jesus is teaching. He's in the synagogue at Capernaum. And he says, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father... So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Let's pray. Father, we're we're not quite sure what to do with a text like this, that, that seemingly so forward and so... Um, primitive, so uncouth, so um, barbaric. But Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear what it means to embrace you, to consider you the bread of life. 
We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Let me take a seat. We've been in the Gospel of John now some six, seven months. We were uber creative when we came up for the series title. It's simply called Believe. That took a long time to, to work through. The reason we call it that, Believe, is because of what John tells us is the purpose for writing this book. And we cannot forget, every time we read the Gospel of John or study a passage, we have to relate it back to John's original purpose. So you've, you've heard us say it several times before, but let's read it again. John 20, 30 through 31, the reason John writes. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. For the Gospel of John, John the Apostle is interested in two things and two things primarily in this Gospel. And, and here they are. Who is Jesus and what does it mean to believe in him? Who is Jesus and what does it mean to believe in him? And as we've seen in these first six chapters, John is an amazing storyteller. He gives, a, he gives rich pictures of, of eyewitness accounts, and he gives us all these really, really helpful metaphors for believing. Remember, he said things like, believing is like entering. Believing is like seeing. Remember, he tells the woman at the well, believing is like drinking. He tells Nicodemus that believing is like being born again. Believing is like abiding. Believing is like remaining. And here in this text, he introduces or gives us another metaphor. I think it's going to be very helpful in helping us understand what it means to believe in Jesus as the bread of life. This metaphor is one of food, which we can all relate to. Believing or faith is like eating and drinking. And so we see Jesus over and over in this text, just it's a sample. I am the bread. Anyone who eats of it won't die. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. He abides in me. Believing is like eating and drinking. Now, admittedly, on the surface, let's be honest, it's just a little bit bizarre. You know, I read this passage to our staff on Tuesday, and right in the middle of it, I realized it's Halloween, and it was a bit disconcerting for everyone. We kind of got the creepy, the creepy pastor look in their eyes, but that's okay. Verse 52, it was a bit, a bit disconcerting for the Jews in the synagogue as well. Look there, it says that they began to dispute, and, and the idea here is that they were using very strong language, not so much towards Jesus, but towards each other. They were like the, the judges on The Voice or America's Got Talent or one, some other gosh-forsaken reality show at night. They were arguing, trying to figure out, what do we do with this guy? Is, is he who he says he is? Is he crazy? Is he some kind of, kind of, some kind of cannibal? Now, look, there, there could be several reasons that they were, they were probably offended. And, and certainly, as a Jew... To have this idea that you eat flesh and drink blood, that just goes against everything um, that was represented in the Old Testament ceremonial laws, the civil laws, what it meant to be kosher, to, to be ceremonially pure. But I don't think that's all that's going on here. You see, Jesus 
had explained these metaphors about eating and drinking before. So look back at verse 40 for a second. He says, for this is the will of my Father. Now look at how similar these structures are to verse 40 to what we're reading this morning in verse 54. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Now look at verse 54 and how similar. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I think it's pretty clear. It's pretty obvious that that Jesus is paralleling food or bread with himself, and he's paralleling eating and drinking with believing or faith. So it may be that the reason they were disputing wasn't because they didn't get it. It may very well be that they were disputing because they knew exactly what Jesus meant. See, Jesus was saying something profound. Jesus was saying something that didn't leave any room for the squishy middle. Jesus is making a massive claim. You see, just like us, they understood eating and drinking. There's nothing more basic or fundamental to life. What Jesus wants to impress upon them is how is this like faith? How is this like believing? That's an incredibly relevant question for us. We're, we're in the land of the free, the home of the brave, where, where most people would say, or many or still in the South, the majority of people would say, of course I believe in God. Of course I believe in Jesus. How does that relate to what Jesus says here? So, so three, three points. What is faith like? Number one. Number two, what makes faith work? And then finally, what happens because of faith? We're talking about faith and belief sort of interchangeably here. What is faith like? Let's start there. As Pastor Rob mentioned when you came in, the countdown calendar in the back to the Four Oaks family Christmas, which means this is the time of the year where you guys start showing up at the offices here with lots of goodies, or if you weren't planning on it, to go ahead and plan on doing that. So chocolate-covered cherries, Chex Mix. If you want to show up with some banana pudding, we'll take that. This is the one time of the year, Four Oaks, I mean, you got a hardworking staff, but this is the one time of year where they are here extra early because they love to hoard all the goodies, right? Okay, You can see them secretly in their office window storing them away like squirrels and stroking their food and calling it my precious. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a special time. No, no, no pressure, but special time. Now, what would you think, though, if you came in here at the tail end of the holidays and we had accumulated this mass of goodies into one big pile, but it had gone uneaten? Now, now, granted, we may have studied it, we may have analyzed it, thought about it, smelt it, touched it, pontificated about it, but you would say, but Pastor Paul, you've forgotten the most fundamental thing. What's that? You didn't eat it. That's what food is for. It's, it's really simple. This is not complex. Now, how is eating food like faith, like belief? You see it already, right? You can't eat food by osmosis. Okay? You can't eat virtually. You're, 
parents, you can't eat for your children by proxy, right? You have to actually physically put the food in your mouth. And when you do, you take it into yourself. It becomes a part of you. Starting to get a little better idea of what Jesus is driving at here. You see, in, in, in the Western culture, rationalism, intellectualism, belief oftentimes just means merely an affirmation of facts or knowledge or knowing something about something. We study it. We analyze it. But we're largely detached from it. We admire it. We can pontificate about it. We look at it. But you know what? We don't necessarily entrust ourselves to it. Folks, that's not biblical belief. That's not biblical faith. Because until you eat it, until you take it into you just like food, guess what? It doesn't do you any good. So what's John's goal for us in this passage? What's his goal? It's very simple. You probably know it already. His goal is that you would eat, that you would eat spiritually. Now, do you ever forget to eat? Me neither, okay? It happened one time in 1979, okay? And I I remember it well. See, faith is like food, isn't it? I, I can't eat once in 1979 and say, I'm good. You know, when I was eight years old at camp, I've signed my sins on that piece of paper and taped them to the cross. That was faith for me, but faith is largely irrelevant for me. That's what a lot of people think belief is. Even some purportedly self-professing Christians, that's not faith. Faith is an ongoing, repeated activity. Faith is something that happens yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This is why we sing songs, by the way, about needing Christ and the only thing that we need is the, is the awareness of our need. It's not a one-time decision. What, what's the hymn say? I need thee every hour. See, that's the, that's the parallel. That's, the, that's the, the metaphor that Jesus is driving at. Faith is like eating. Jesus died for you once for all. Don't get me wrong. All sufficient for you. But you need him just as much today as you did when you were 8, when you were 12, and you were 20, and then when you die on your deathbed because the Holy Spirit is working in you, drawing you to you. Faith is active. It is fluid. It is ongoing. And it is sure because of Jesus Christ. Now, if faith is like eating... How does eating work, spiritually speaking? That's our, that's gonna, that's our second point. Let's, let's, let's kind of dig in theologically a little bit to this. What, what makes faith work? If you look back in this text, the word bread is used 13 times in this passage. Do you think John's trying to impress something upon us? 13 times. And any time we see bread mentioned in the Bible, whether it's the, the manna in the wilderness that God supplied to the people of Israel day after day after day, bread always symbolizes life, provision, nourishment, care, sustenance. But it's quite the opposite whenever we see references to blood. Because if bread always refers to affluence and giving and life, Blood, without exception, in the Bible, 
most often refers to violent death. So whether we see the, the priest in the, in the tabernacle, in the temple, offering sacrifices, there's this idea of, of life for life. In order for the sacrifice of sins to be sufficient, there has to be the loss of life. What does the writer of Hebrews tell us? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And it's interesting that John chooses to highlight the role of bread and of blood when it comes to Jesus. That's not incidental. It, in fact, communicates something to us at the very heart of the gospel. You see, for, for bread to bring life, something else has to happen. For bread to bring life, blood has to be spilled. For bread to be life, flesh has to be broken. That's always the way it is in God's economy. Life happens through exchange. One life for another. The life of this lamb for the sins of the people. Now, isn't it interesting, for us, if you've been here since the beginning of this series, that one of the very, very, very first things that John tells us about Jesus when, he, when, when John is proclaiming him as the, as the word that became flesh, one of the very first self-attesting things that he says about Jesus is found in John 1.14 through John the Baptist. And what does John the Baptist say? Behold, what? The Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. See, in order for the bread to be life for you, Jesus had to be sacrificed for you. Here is our sin, us. Here is Jesus. How do we get Jesus? There has to be an exchange. You know, we, we celebrate the, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation this year where Martin Luther the monk nailed the 95 theses to the door. And by the way, Pastor Josh is continuing to teach a class on that. Love our in-sermon advertising. We, just, we, we do that so seamlessly. A- after Darkness Light, it's a class that's going on on Wednesday nights over here in Gallery 14. But Luther talked about this in terms of the great exchange. He understood the gospel. This was at the heart of the Reformation. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake... He made him to be sin. Now, first of all, who's who's he? God. And who is him? Jesus. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, that's the heart of what Jesus is talking about here. This is why faith works. Is because there's an exchange. There has been a sacrifice. There has been a shedding of blood. There's been a breaking of flesh so that we might have the righteousness of Christ and he might get from us our sin as the sacrificial lamb. Now, let me me talk about a couple application points from this. Because we are on the topic of the Reformation, Let let me say something clearly about what this doesn't mean. And, and let me talk about, just for a second, guys, Roman Catholic theology. 
And let me give this very strong qualifier. I, I know many of you are from Roman Catholic background. You have friends, you have family, um, you have Christian friends. And let me just affirm, I, I believe there are, are true believers, born-again believers, Christian believers um, in the Roman Catholic Church. But as an institution, at the heart of its theology and its teaching, I don't believe is a gospel message. In fact, I think in some ways it's, so, it's anti-gospel. It's, it's works-oriented. Because a, a, a common Catholic understanding of this passage is that what John is really talking about here is the Mass. Do you know what the Mass is? The Mass is the worship service where, where communion is served and the people of God come and take communion where, where it is affirmed that this is transubstantiation. In other words... When we come to the end of the service and we're taking the juice and the bread, we believe these are symbols. We believe they are they're pictures, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But in Catholic theology, this bread and this wine literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus, literally. So much so that if you're barred from the table, excommunicated from communion, that is a spiritual death wish because you are in need of ongoing perpetual sacrifice by Jesus. That is what's happening at the Mass. That's why you read in these ancient plays and stories that whenever popes excommunicated rulers or, or emperors or, or other authority figures, that was a big deal because that meant they were cut off from the means of grace that God had given them. Because that is, that's not gospel. It's not the way Scripture talks about the sacrifice of Christ. If a comet, and heaven help us, okay, plows through this building shortly before, we'll see, we'll be done at 2.30, shortly before 2.30, and you never make it to the table, is your soul imperiled? Listen to what Hebrews 9 says. This This is such a great passage. This is such a great news. If you are sitting here today wondering, I don't know what to do with what I've done. I don't know if any sacrifice for sins remains. I don't know if I'm worthy to come to the table this morning. Listen to what, listen listen to this. This is just great news. Hebrews 9. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. First thing, Jesus right now is before God on your behalf in heaven. N- not there. In heaven. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly. In other words, Jesus is not dying over and over and over again for your sins. As the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not on his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered how many times, Four Oaks? Once. To bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who were eagerly waiting for him. This is an amazing piece of good news. If you're in Christ, if you're feeding on 
the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. You've entrusted yourself to him. Jesus is right now interceding on your behalf. You see, your need for intercession for your sins never ends. But Jesus only had to be sacrificed once, not continually. See, that's an understanding of the Lord's Supper that devalues Christ. That's anti-gospel. That puts it all in your hands. If you don't do X, Y, and Z in all the correct ways, your soul is in mortal danger. Guys, that's, that's not good news. That is some terrible news. That is some precarious news. But... Because Jesus died for you, because he is your bread, when he comes back one day, it's not to deal with your sin. He's already dealt with your sin. He's coming back to take you home. He's coming back to be united with you. Now, you may say, well, does that mean that what we do here on on Sunday morning is not important? Why, Pastor Paul, do we take the Lord's Supper every week then? Guys, and here's something we want to affirm. See, see, God knew we were dull-hearted creatures. He knows how easy it is for us to forget. He knows that if, even if I sat up here every week and preached faithfully the word and talked about Jesus Christ and the gospel, I don't want to say it's not enough. What I do want to say, though, is that God gives us another means of grace to encourage our hearts. You see, we're physical people. We need physical signs. And there's nothing magical in these elements, no magic mojo. But every time we come to the table, we take that piece of bread, we take the cup, we are telling a story. We are telling a parable. We are saying the body of Christ, the blood of Jesus. You know, the other week, one of our, one of our children um, was having to select a selection from Shakespeare to do some sort of dramatic presentation. Okay, and, and this particular... Gilbert Young One chose something from Henry V, which is the greatest play in the history of the English written language, in my opinion. And God bless him as this child read, read this selection from Henry V. I just, I, I, I wanted to stop and just say, this is not made for reading, okay? This is made for what? Acting. This is, this is a drama, See, we need to talk about this, guys. We need to preach it, but we need to act out the drama. This is to remind us. This is parents. You can bring your your child to the table and say, this is why we're doing this. Because let's be honest, this is crazy. That we end each service by taking a piece of bread and a cup of juice. That, That is bizarre, if you think about it. Where else does that kind of thing happen? Only with the people of God. But it's to remind us. Our hearts need to be reminded. So our faith is like eating. Our food is Christ, and our faith rests upon him in his sacrificial death. That's what we remember here. And lastly, what happens? And we're going to be quick here. What happens? Look back at verse 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, let me stop there for a second. When is the time in the in your dinner prayer time where you say amen, when does that typically happen? It always happens for us at the beginning. No, it's always at the end, right? And, like if, and if you don't get a hearty amen, we're not eating. And amen just literally means yes, truly, or I, I affirm it. 
So all God's people said amen, meaning we agree with what was just said. Jesus, interestingly enough, whenever, oftentimes when he preaches, he doesn't, he doesn't say the amen to the last. He says it at the beginning. Truly, truly, or old King James, verily, verily. Remember those days? Truly, truly, verily, verily. In other words, what I'm about to say is true. It's not optional. It's not, it's not, for, it's not for debate. God is, God is speaking. And Jesus says, truly, truly, look back at the text. I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. We said that's, that's faith. That's belief. That's entrusting. That's turning over. That's entering. That's drinking. That's eating. But what happens when the people of God do that? And I think verse 56 is just maybe, maybe my favorite, most favorite verse in this little section. Verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Theologians call this mutual indwelling. That, that Christ is in us through faith, and at the same time that we are in Christ. Now, now, how are we to think about this? And I first heard this illustration from Louis Giglio many moons ago, and I've shared it with you a couple times, but because you're dull of heart, I'll share it again. So you've probably forgotten. No, no. No, enough new people that maybe enough time has, has, has gone by. And, and, and I've got a prop, so don't, don't, don't freak out. I've got a prop. What was the original multi-level marketing, I was going to say scheme, but that would be offensive, set up, okay, some years ago? What was it? Anybody remember? Well, I, well there was Avon, I heard. Uh, Amway, okay, get behind me, Santa. Okay, and then, but who remembers Tupperware? Yes, okay, yes, Tupperware. Yes, Tupperware. And I've got, I've got three pieces of Tupperware here, and if you're uncomfortable with this prop, you're just going to have to go with it for, for, for right now. So Susan and I were driving home. You've heard me heard this before, but Susan and I were driving home. She had just had her wisdom teeth out. And, and see, when I got my wisdom teeth out when I was in college, that was like not a thing. It was like, I got it out, and then I went home and watched Star Wars and ate pizza, and I was ready to go, okay? I knew we were in trouble when they wheeled her out in the wheelchair, okay? And she was unconscious. I was like, oh, we've got a problem. So we're just married. I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm, there's this pre-cell phone. I'm like, how do we get home so I can call her parents to get down here from Tennessee immediately? But I had to get her home. So I'm, I'm driving, and it's like a little, I have like a little puppet here. So I've got her neck in my hand because she's sick and there's blood and all this sort of stuff. And she's starting to vomit. And I'm like, I've got to get her home immediately. So I'm driving one hand. This is in Jackson, Mississippi. And I've got my other arm on her head and and she's about to throw up. And I'm like, I've got to do something. So I've got, I reached back into the back seat and I found the Tupperware dish just like that. Okay. I was like, this will be great. I'll just open this up and she'll, she can throw up in the Tupperware dish. Okay. So I think I got it open about that much, okay? And I was like, oh, whatever she had for lunch six months before had been perfectly preserved in this thing. 
and I'm putting it under her face, which is making her vomit all the more. This illustration had no point. That's it. No, no, no. Okay. A Tupperware thing keeps, keeps its content. I mean, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? It was like old school Yeti for food. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's un- unbelievable. So this is your heart. And Jesus says, when by faith, when you take me as the bread of life, I'm in you. So I, I, I'm in you. My Holy Spirit seals your heart. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm dwelling in you, which is amazing. Think about this. You may to- be totally discouraged this morning, but Christ in you is changing you, sanctifying you. You may feel like outwardly I'm wasting away. My relationships are wasting away. My body's wasting away. My, my family's wasting away. But, but Paul says, but inwardly you are being renewed day by day. And that happens because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. Christ in you. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing piece of hope. That's like the Holy Spirit is never going to leave us or forsake us. Wherever we go, the Holy Spirit goes with us in our hearts. But that's not all that Jesus says here. Hey, look back at the text again. Forever feeds on my flesh and drinks on the blood, abides in me and I in him. I in him, but guess what? You in Jesus. So remember, Jesus is in you, sealed by the Holy Spirit. And this is you, sealed in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul means when he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You in Christ, abiding in him. Now, now, now look, look down at verse 54 for a second. Verse 54 Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. How does that happen? How does Jesus raise you up on the last day if Jesus is merely in you? See, it's because Jesus isn't just in you. You're in Jesus, which means when you die, his Holy Spirit goes with you. And when Jesus was raised, you were raised with him. And when Jesus comes back, your resurrection is secure because you are united with Christ in both his death and where? His resurrection. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm not just food for this life. I'm not just good for this life. I just don't help you change in this life, although I do. But I'm good for eternity. I'm your eternal food. You are in me and I am in you. We are, you are perfectly preserved in me. And because of that, I invite you to feed on me, to trust in me, to take this bread, which is the bread of life. Guys, does this depict your spiritual reality? Because let me say, you can understand that. You can get it, you can laugh at it, you can observe it, you can pontificate about it, you can blog about it, but unless you've eaten, it will do you no good. But today, Jesus offers this invitation. I am the bread of life. Come and eat my flesh and drink my blood. Because faith is like eating. Faith is like drinking. And that's what we 
remember and celebrate and preach to our hearts when we come to the table each and every week. As our leaders come and prepare to serve the elements, I want to invite you just to go before the Lord and pray that God will renew your heart in this truth, that he is your bread and he is your blood. Take a minute or two just to do that silently and to yourselves.